0: very appropriate hymn to sing as we open up this passage before us tonight first peter chapter 2 and let's read verses 1 through 12 turning from earthly pleasures to those heavenly pleasures and i trust that even as we read and study god's word we'll have a foretaste of those heavenly joys as we consider what is in store for us what we already possess in christ jesus second first peter chapter two and i'll get there eventually stop talking and look at my bible there we are verse one therefore putting aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisy and envy and all slander Like newborn babes, long for the pure milk of the word, that by it you may grow in respect of salvation, if you have tasted that the Lord is kind. And coming to him as to a living stone rejected by men, but choice and precious in the sight of God, you also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him shall not be disappointed. This precious value, then, is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense. For they stumble because they are disobedient to the word, And to this doom they were also appointed. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge you, as aliens and strangers, to abstain from fleshly lusts, which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, on account of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Let's ask that God would, again, make heavenly realities eternal realities fresh to our sight as we consider his word together this evening. Let's pray. Father, we do not lean on our own understanding as we come to read your word and study it and seek to open it up, not merely to our understanding, but to our hearts and lives. We lean upon your spirit and we ask, even as we heard that promise this morning repeated to us, How much more will you give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Good gifts. We ask that you would pour forth your spirit tonight upon your people, first of all, that we might understand and obey, not like the Israelites in Gideon's day, who had set up altars to Baal and Asherah in disobedience, direct disobedience to your commands. May the altars of our hearts be cast down and burned. We ask that you would direct us in paths of obedience. And we ask, too, that you would pour out your Spirit on those who know you not yet. That tonight, light would shine in the darkness. Hear us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, as we have seen in this, these couple of verses, especially, we're focusing on verses 11 and 12. After having tasted that the Lord is kind... And I hope that you have tasted, and not only tasted, but you devour this reality. Then how should we then live? Well, Peter, by the inspiration of the Spirit, directs us. We should not feast our souls on this world. We should not set up those altars in our hearts. But we should abstain from fleshly lusts. And we should keep our behavior excellent. We should walk in the light of the glory of the God who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We should walk to please him and not to please the flesh. This is obvious and you might say, well, duh, yeah, of course. But sad to say our lives don't always reflect that this is as obvious as it should be. And tonight, having considered those things last week, abstain from fleshly lusts. We, we looked at that. What are some of those lusts, and we should abstain. We should keep on not on just an arm's length, a football field's length, miles length away from these things. And we should have excellent behavior. And we looked at what that uh, might, how that might appear before a watching world. And then I gave you a homework assignment, and I hope that you gave that some consideration. What are the motivations that are given here to us by Peter through the inspiration of the Spirit to move us, to incite us to do these things, to abstain from fleshly lusts and to have excellent behavior? And one of them we already considered last week, that we're beloved of God. And we heard more of that this morning, of God's amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, should die for me. Amazing love. Well, that's one of them. Beloved, Peter addresses these readers. But it's not just Peter who loved them. It's God himself. That was one motivation. Out of love. Because our God has loved us first. But then there are three more motivations. Did you see them? Well, I'll give you my three, and I hope they tally with your three. Another motivation is, you're strangers and aliens here. This world's not your home. Why should you invest that much emotional energy and attachment to things when you're not going to keep them, you're not going to stay here? This world's not your home. You're aliens and strangers. Second motivation, fleshly lusts, if you look them square in the eye, they're not your friends. They're your deadly enemies. They wage war against your soul. And you know what that means. It's you are them. And for them, they want it to be you. Thirdly, third motivation is the world is watching. The world is watching. And if you live by abstaining from fleshly lust and having excellent behavior, that glorifies God. And there's a day of visitation coming. And we'll study what that means. So those are the three things. Did you get them? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. But uh, I hope you did. I hope that as you search the scriptures that it's not just a matter of rote, of reading, passing your eyes across the page. But that you consider, what does this say to me today? And today, it's telling us, well, this is something that ought to push us in the right direction. Well, let's consider these then one by one. First of all, the world is not your home. You're aliens and strangers. Look again at the text. Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers. Aliens and strangers. Now, the words are somewhat synonymous, slightly different emphasis on each word, aliens. And the the Greek word is very descriptive. It's uh, away from home. All right. you're outside your house. You're not in your own place. You're living in a place which isn't your own. Carol and I would sometimes say to each other in the Philippines, I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Well, or New Jersey for that matter. And even though we lived there 35 years, even after all of that, it was, you know, it was home. It was home. But there was a sense in which, yeah, it's not quite home. We live here in the United States of America. We live here in this world. That's home. Yeah, we we live here and yeah, we're kind of used to it, but don't get too used to it because it's not your home. You're away from home. We should have that feeling to some degree. We're not in Kansas. It's, it's, this isn't where we belong. We belong somewhere else, which is our true home that's what this word is telling us you're strangers here you're outside your home place and then the other word alien strangers not only away from home but not among your own people it's not that just that you're you know traveling somewhere but that the people around you somehow are not your own people pilgrim's not quite the right word but away from your people as well is the sense of this second word that's used here, living among strangers. Now, of course, yeah, we get to know our neighbors, we get to know our workmates, uh, and even our relatives who are not Christians. Yes, we we have relationships established, but there's a sense in which these are not our people. Let me use a couple of illustrations uh, for what he's talking about here. Imagine you're a tourist on vacation. Uh, or You're going somewhere, and you have a, an Airbnb, and so you've you know, go on uh, whatever website it is and book this Airbnb. And so you go there and you're going to stay for a week. And it's a nice house and it's a nice location. It's a beautiful scenery around you. But imagine, you know, there are the, well, you think I could improve this place. And so you go and you plant some redwood trees out in the yard. Redwoods. How long does it take a redwood to grow? Or oak trees, maybe a little faster. And you think, oh, I'm going to improve this place. And then you get out your paint bucket and your paintbrush and you you start improving. And you get out your plumbing tools and you fix the plumbing and maybe install a new shower. You, You say, who would do that? It's not your place. You're not going to stay there. Well, now, of course, I'm not condemning repairing your house or even fixing it up because actually we're in the middle of some repairs of that nature in a home that was 120 years old. But you have a sense that I'm not going to stay here. This isn't my forever dwelling. This is what he's saying. This isn't your place. Or even crazier. A man gets this idea, I'm going to self-identify as a fish. And so I'm going to jump in the ocean and swim underwater and just stay there. You see, you don't belong there. You're nuts. You're going to die there. Well, this isn't, you know, swimming with the fishies. It might be a lot of fun, but it's not going to last. We don't belong here. This, this is what Peter is trying to tell us. This world is not your home. Don't grow too attached. As John says in 1 John 2:17, this world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. So this is the point that Peter is making, you're aliens here, you're strangers here. This world is not your home, you're passing through. And so keep things in the world in perspective the job that takes all your time becoming a workaholic well wait a minute what's your priority is your priority your job or is your priority your savior and your eternal life of course we have to work of course we have to pay bills i'm not saying quit your job but keep it in perspective the house, you spend all your time on again. <laughs> I'm talking to myself as well. Oh, yes, it's right to fix up, to have things neat and orderly. Yes, God's a God of order. But keep it in perspective. I'm not going to be here for it. Don't neglect it. Don't live in a shack that's run down and a shame to your neighbors. You know what I'm saying? But keep it in perspective. Or that girl you spend all your money on to impress young people. Maybe you think I'm just talking to old people. Young people. You You spend all your money. You want to impress this girl. Wait a minute. What's your eternal priority? A girl? Just a girl? Well, a godly family. A godly seed. Keep things in perspective. The day of the Lord will come like a thief, Peter tells us in his next letter, in which the heavens will pass away with a roar and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat and the earth and its works will be burned up. Since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, listen to the question. What sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? So that's the first motivation. Keep it in perspective. We're not here forever. This isn't our eternal home. I have an eternal home, thanks be to God, in which, and again, with great thankfulness, I know my mother is already there, and my father's heading there, and my in-laws are there. It's going to be good. My Savior's there, above all. So, Peter says, abstain from fleshly lusts, turn from the world, live a holy life, don't be like Esau, and sell your inheritance for a mess of pottage. Oh, I need pottage now. And you sell your inheritance? Don't sell your heavenly inheritance for a mess of earthly, fleshly lusts and pleasures. That's what Peter says. Second motivation. Second motivation, fleshly lusts are your deadly enemies. Look again at the text. Abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Now, war is horrible. And I guess, like most guys, you know, you like to read stories about... Soldiers, and uh, maybe you grew up playing army and that kind of thing. But however you cut it, war is horrible. I read uh, estimates of casualties in World War II. 15 million soldiers of various nations perished. And over 38 million civilians in World War II think about that going to meet their maker millions the vast majority who did not know God and this is what lusts want to do to you they want to take you and kill you and drag you to hell they're your deadly enemy they wage war against your soul. As God told Cain in Genesis 4, 7, behold, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you. What does that mean? Oh, it just likes you so much. It wants to help you. No, not that kind of desire. Its desire is for your precious blood and your soul. But you must master it, God told Cain. Sadly, Cain did not master it. Sin mastered him. Fleshly lust, vengeance, anger, bitterness of soul against his brother. And he murdered him. Paul tells us in Romans 6, this should sound familiar. Verse 14, sin shall not be master over you, brother and sister, for you are not under law, but under grace. The point is this. Sin is not not your friend. It may come and dressed in nice clothes. It may come alongside you and say, Oh, I've got something for you, buddy. Oh, listen to me. If you come with me, we're going to have a great time. No. As Flavel put it, sin presents the bait <laughs> but hides the hook. Don't forget the hook, it's waging war against your soul. Think of this as an illustration. As Hitler's troops invaded Poland, advanced across Poland, taking city after city, village after village, taking the Jews from those cities and sending them into uh, prison camps. What if a Jew came out of one of these villages as the troops, the German Wehrmacht, approached threw himself into their arms and said, take me. He said, wait a minute. These people are your enemies. They want to kill you. Are you welcoming them? Why would we give ourselves to lusts that want to destroy us? There's the question. Think of it when that temptation comes your way. This wants to kill me. Let's take some examples. The lust of the flesh, especially in terms of sexual immorality, pornography leading to adultery. Uh, The Proverbs gives us this picture in chapter 7. Of the evil woman, now therefore, my sons, listen to me, pay attention to the words of my mouth. Do not let your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths, for many are the victims, is what my version translates the word, but it literally means pierced ones. Many are the victims, the pierced ones she has cast down, and numerous are all her slain. Her house is the way to Sheol, descending to the chambers of death. Don't be her victim, don't let her pierce you. This is my enemy. This whatever website, magazine, whatever movie, it wants to kill me. It's my enemy. It's not my friend. Don't be the victim. Angry words, the the tongue is like a sword, and it would embroil you in war and lead to your death. Pride. God is opposed to the proud. You want God to be your enemy? Sin. Pride is your enemy. Resist. Put away. Keep your distance from the lusts of the flesh. It's a battle to the death. It's you or sin. Either you kill sin or sin will kill you. That's what we're talking about here. It's waging war. It's your enemy. So don't give in abstain, keep away, danger, danger, don't go there, fleshly lusts, but then the third motivation, looking back at our text, verse 12 now, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds as they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, the word Gentiles here, just to address that, first of all, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. This is not saying, okay, we're Jews, they're Gentiles, but this word is, let me just use Lenski's definition or description here. He says, the word nations here is used in the religious sense of pagans, a non-people, as far as God is concerned, going back to verse 10, not a people, uh, As Peter's readers were before they got to be mercied, to receive mercy from God. That's non-Christians he's talking about. And he uses this term, Gentiles, to describe them. Nations would be another translation of the Greek word. Gentiles. Well, What do these non-Christians do? What does the world do to Christians? Well, let's look at three things that are contained here. First of all, Gentiles slander Christians. Look again at the text. They slander you as evildoers. And this is in spite of good works. They may on account of your good works as they observe them. They observe your good works. They see them and in their heart of hearts, they acknowledge that you're doing good. And yet they still say you're evildoers. Now, isn't this the case? They may observe, for example, that uh, you're good workers. In fact, you're one of the hardest workers on the job. And they love you for it. No. Uh, They may observe that you're kind to your wife. Well, they've been divorced ten times. And they've got a rocky marriage now. They notice you have a happy home with well-behaved children, although not perfect, to be honest. That you are honest, trustworthy, kind to others, like the Good Samaritan. They observe these things, and still they slander you, in spite of your good works. They say, well, you know, these Christians, they're, they're really evildoers. They're heretics. They're, they're, you know, back in the day... Uh, Christians were called cannibals because they misunderstood the Lord's Supper. And they thought, oh, they're eating, they think they're eating the body of a, of a dead man. And these people are really weirdos. They're cannibals and, and horrible. Th- those were accusations that were thrown about uh, about early Christians. Well, s- in spite of all their good deeds... You can read the account in that letter to Trajan about, you know, what Christians were doing. And, you know, why are they being, uh, why should we treat them this way? I mean, I don't see any harm in them. They're doing good. Well, still they're hated and persecuted in the world. Sometimes we're persecuted and slandered because of, not in spite of, but because of our good works. Because unbelievers, I mean, the world, let's put it that way, hates the light. John three, nineteen and 20. This is the judgment that the light has come into the world and men love the darkness rather than the light. For their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and does not come to the light because or lest his deeds should be exposed. And so again, the, the good worker You know, you work harder than the others. When the boss goes away, you don't slack off. You just keep working. And what do they they say to you on the job? You don't have to work so hard. You're making us look bad. Right? They slander you as evildoers because of your good works. They don't like it. Why? Because it shows that their deeds are evil. Good fathers show them up as absentee or, or passive fathers. Good mothers show them up as negligent mothers. And so they're ashamed, and in their shame, they retaliate with evil speaking. And so Gentiles in the world, this is, this is reality, slanders Christians. It's been so. It happened to Jesus. We're not greater than our master. He, we don't do as much good as he did, and yet they killed him. Uh, just as an illustration of this, I, it always kind of makes me laugh when you read about uh, the healing of that lame man in the early chapters of Acts. And so they bring Peter and John before the Sanhedrin, and they are doing a, this examination. And so Peter says, are we on trial for doing good to a lame man? We're guilty. (laughs) We did good. (laughs) We healed him, yes. Jesus, by the name of Jesus, guilty as charged. See, they're being spoken of as evil, being persecuted for doing good. That's still the case today. That's what Peter is saying. But then, he also, something else we need to notice here Gentiles, the world, watches. Christians. I think this is worthy of note. Look at verse 12 again. In the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may on account of your good deeds as they observe them. And the word here for observe is a word which implies close scrutiny. As one of my lexicons puts it, the word means to look upon, to view attentively, to watch. They're paying attention they're keeping an eye on you as you do good works, as you live in this world. Uh, it's like they've got a secret agent following you around. Let's watch this Christian. Let's just see. What are they looking for as they watch you? As because of your good works. They're looking for you to slip up. They're looking for you to blow it. And they'll even tempt you, provoke you, push your buttons, and try to get you to react. Right. You ever have anybody like that in your workplace? Or maybe I remember there's a guy like that down the hall from me as a freshman in college. And he knew I was a Christian. He, wanted, he just wanted to get me. Well, how will you react? Will you blow it? Will you lose your cool? And then they'll say, aha is just the same as us. These Christians, you know, it's it's just a lot of noise. It's a show, but they're really the same. Now, sadly, we do blow it from time to time. But there, we have the opportunity to show we're different by doing what? Asking forgiveness. Huh? Nobody does that. Christians do that. They're watching you. They have an eye out for you to get you to do wrong so that they can blaspheme the name of Christ. Don't give them occasion. Be on to their little game and frustrate their knavish tricks. Don't let them get away with it. But then... Furthermore, we see in this passage, and here's really the key point: Gentiles will glorify God because of Christians, because of your behavior, your good works, in the day of visitation. And that phrase is a key phrase: the day of visitation, and it's it's an old it's Old Testament language that we find uh, repeated throughout the Old Testament in Hebrew and there's a specific Hebrew word that is used there to talk about this visitation. God visits, and if you look up the Hebrew word, you'll find that it's used a visitation either in blessing or visitation in punishment and judgment. God visits to bless, God visits to punish. What kind of visitation is spoken of here? Let's let's look first of all at the Old Testament and see the, how it's used these two ways. Genesis twenty one one, right? So this is, Peter is hearkening back to Old Testament language here, and maybe the Jews in the congregation. Remember, I said this is mixed congregation some jews but probably mostly gentiles the jews would say yeah we get that listen to what this means and maybe they would turn them like for for example to genesis 21 and verse 1 and i'm going to read from the new king james because it gives a more literal translation and the lord visited sarah as he had said and the lord did for sarah as he had spoken what what does that mean so Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham. This is visiting for blessing. God visited Sarah, and she conceived. Of course, it was Abraham's the father, but God visited to open her womb after all these years so that she would conceive and have a son. 1 Samuel 2.21, the same thing. And the Lord visited Hannah so that she conceived and bear three sons and two daughters. And the child Samuel grew before the Lord. The Lord visited Hannah, visiting in blessing. And there are other passages, and you can look them up. Uh, This this word implies or has one of its meanings, one of its uh, applications. Visiting to bless. God comes down to visit. And when he visits his people, he's visiting to bless them. But then we have this word used of visiting in punishment or curse or judgment. Isaiah chapter 10. Isaiah chapter 10 is an example of this. So it will be that when the Lord has completed all his work on Mount Zion and on Jerusalem, he will say, I will literally visit the fruit of the arrogant heart of the king of Assyria and the pomp of his haughtiness. My translation takes this word visit and translates it punish. But it's the word visit, it's the, that same verb. God visited Sarah. I will visit. Assyria, I will visit and punish the fruit of his arrogant heart. And back in verse three, if you look back there, we have this very phrase, the day of visitation. Now, what will you do in the day of, and it's the noun form of the verb, visitation? What will you do in the day of visitation and in the devastation which will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help and where will you leave your wealth? The day of visitation. And so here this day of visitation is a day of punishment, a day of judgment. And so now turning back to our text, which is it? They will glorify God. As they observe, watch, keep an eye on your good works, they will glorify God in the day of visitation. Well, remembering that the word has these two Foci, these two applications, visiting for blessing, visiting for punishment. Well, I believe it goes both ways. It's not meant to be ambiguous. It's meant to cause our minds to think of how God might use our testimony before a watching world as they observe you. Well, he might visit in blessing. Blessing. And of course, this is our desire, that our testimony, our example, our lives would shine, as Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, let your light so shine before men that they may what? Glorify God. We might add in the day of visitation. Glorify God. How would they glorify God? Well, if they see your good testimony, they see your life. They see how you love your wife. They see how you care for your children. They see how you do your work conscientiously. They see how you are careful to keep your word, that you are true to your statements. You're faithful in what you say and do. And they observe how you're kind and thoughtful to others. And this shines in the darkness. They observe this. They notice this. They may be convicted of their sins. They may be convinced of the truth and power of the gospel. What makes you to differ? Peter says they may even ask you to give an account for that hope that's in you. Well, observing your behavior may be used of God to bring them to the light. Look at chapter three, and there are Reflections here in 1 Peter chapter 3 of what he has just said. Verses 11 and 12 are kind of an introduction to this whole next section of his letter in which he's dealing with ethical issues. And he says, "...in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior." Same word as in verse 12. Keep your behavior excellent. As they observe, uh, uh, by the behavior of their wives, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. Again, same word, behavior. They see your excellent behavior. But notice the word observe. It's the same word there too. And it's not a word that's common in the New Testament. Peter uses this word twice here because you see the husband is watching his wife. Yeah, Christians, they're all hypocrites, except for my wife. She's the real deal. I mean, I see it. I can't gainsay it. I can't say it's nonsense because look at her. The way she treats me, in spite of all this stuff I say to her, I don't know how she does it. Maybe one without a word, by the behavior. And so you see, Peter is saying, you have a good Testimony, chaste, respectful behavior. That's a convincing argument. You may say, oh, you know, but Christians they are a bunch of hypocrites. I, I don't know. You believe this Jesus. But I can't, I can't argue the way my wife is. There's something happened to her. She's different. I can't get around it. You see... A glowing testimony. We're not perfect. Yeah, I'm not perfect either. But we're different. Let your light shine before the watching world. They may hate our doctrine. They may not like a crucified Savior. They might say it's foolishness. It's a stumbling block. But they can't get around a changed life. How convincing is this argument to a wicked world? And so orderly families, honest labor, day's work for a day's pay, kind deeds, good Samaritan actions, your life can make the difference in those who are watching you. And I hope visitors here tonight, and you look around you, okay? I'm looking around me. I see people that I've known for some years. These are the saints upon the earth. In whom is my delight and god's delight oh no they're not perfect <laughs> i'm not perfect either and you can see our flaws but i challenge you you get any bunch of people together in this world you know, you go to your high school reunion i went to not the dinner with my 50th uh, high school reunion i didn't want to waste the money um and in fact, my friends didn't really show up. There was only one guy that I really knew that I met there in this open house at our high school uh, building. But you, you look at him what are they? And you take the Christians. There's a difference. There's a great difference. There's a vast chasm of a difference. I challenge you. Oh, yeah, we're not perfect. Don't get me wrong. You can find our flaws but we're different. We're peculiar people, people for God's own possession. He has shown mercy on us. And so visitation and mercy, we want people to see our life. And so we want to show them, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you, and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. And may we be a fragrant aroma here in this world. Kindness, not bitterness. What a difference it makes. But then there's also this other angle. Visitation in punishment. The alternative, you see, to God blessing those who watch us with salvation is that God will visit them in greater judgment because they have known us. Every knee you see in the last day will bow. Every knee. His enemies will bow. Every tongue. Those who use his name as a curse word today will confess that Jesus is Lord. And they will bow. Every knee. They will confess in that day that your deeds were righteous. And that they were wicked in slandering you. It will be forced from their tongues. Yes, he was right. And they will face greater judgment. Because of that witnessing. Which they observed. That's dreadful. A visitation of God. punishment now it's one or the other we read in second corinthians chapter 2 15 and 16 we are a fragrance of christ to god among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing here's our testimony it's a fragrance a fragrance of christ what will be the effect to the one an aroma from death to death to the other an aroma from life to life. Who is adequate or sufficient for these things? And so, is your life shining before the watching world? What kind of a testimony do you give? What kind of impact do you make on those who are around you? What do they see in you? Sadly, Many Christians, professing Christians, do not have a good testimony, sadly, but let your testimony give the lie to that claim that all Christians are hypocrites. Let your testimony so shine that they say, yeah, I've met so many Christians and I wouldn't give a dime for them. But this guy's different. This woman, let your light so shine that they cannot gainsay, they cannot contradict. There's something different here. There's something powerful. And it's the power of Christ to take a wretched sinner a nobody, and make him somebody. Somebody that gives glory to God. And so, as we conclude then this evening, and this, these couple of verses, as I say, are an introduction. This is the ethical impact of tasting that the Lord is kind, of being a people, of being mercied by God. This should be the effect on you. And remember, the world's not your home. All right, yeah, do your house repairs. Maybe put on the addition, whatever you have to do. But remember, it's not your home. It's a temporary dwelling place. Don't get too comfortable, especially don't get so comfortable you put up an altar to Baal and Asher and all this other trappings of the world. It's not your home put away fleshly lusts they're your enemies kill them or they'll kill you keep your behavior excellent what a challenge get up in the morning all right i gotta go to work all right gotta drive with the turkeys on 287. oh boy No, it's your opportunity to shine like a star. Not not a, not a Hollywood star, but a luminary, as Paul puts it in Philippians 2, shine in this dark world. Here is your opportunity to glorify God. And may it be that he would use you as a visitation of mercy, God's mercy, to those in your office, in your neighborhood, in your family. And as I close, I have one more word. Friends here tonight, I don't dress you that way. That's my heart toward you. Which would it be? You observe us, you see us, with, you know, with our flaws, we're not trying to hide anything. We got clay feet. But we're different by grace. All glory to God. What good you see in these people, and they're kind people here. What good you see is because of Christ. It's because of his mercy. He is, we were not a people, now we're his people. We had not received mercy, now he's mercyed us. Mercy upon mercy, grace instead of grace. Which will it be for you? Visitation of punishment? Increased Judgment? Because you've heard good news and you rejected it? Or will it be visitation of mercy? Having tasted that the Lord is kind, oh, taste and see, come tonight. Why would you delay? What's made us to differ? It's the power of the grace of Jesus Christ who loved us and gave himself up for us. That's what makes the difference. What he did for us, he'll do for you. Even tonight. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we do thank you for the work of grace not yet perfect in us, but we know we're heading there. For that day when you'll take away all the dross and we'll shine without spot or wrinkle or any such thing in the marriage feast of the Lamb. And oh, we ask that you would draw people to yourself tonight. Make Christ attractive to them as he is. Help them to see. And may our light so shine before men that they will glorify you. And they'll so glorify you in trusting the Savior who has delivered us and your people we ask for help we confess the world has enticements the world sometimes gets its claws into us oh forgive us and help us to abstain keep away from keep a long distance from fleshly lusts and help us to have excellent behavior before this watching world in our homes in our workplaces in our use of our tongues, even in our heart attitudes, in our deeds of kindness and mercy. May the members of Trinity Baptist Church so shine that you will be glorified through our lives. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.